one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, everybody. Just a note from me, Rhiannon, to say that my new supplements company, Hurrah, is finally here. It's taken years to get this off the ground. Retrition Plus is evidence-based, rooted in science, focused on you, and we offer vitamin D sprays, folic acid spray, and a vegan multivitamin. So head over to retritionplus.com for supplements you can finally trust. Hello! Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's Food for Thought. This is the podcast that's on a mission and it's going to equip you with all of the evidence-based advice that you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, Sunday Times best-selling author of The Science of Nutrition. Please go check out my new book. I think it will help a lot of people out there. And founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. Now, in each of the 12 episodes, I'll be joined by guests, all of whom are experts in their field, which is wonderful. So together, we can all learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted experts advice. Food in its natural form has been replaced by snacks and ready meals and many of which are perfectly balanced with sugar and fat but unfortunately some options out there do offer very little nutritional value and they can be designed to be exceptionally moorish. So it's no surprise really that when we discuss this topic that in the UK we're now at a point where over half of the food that we buy is ultra processed. So in this week's episode, and I've wanted to do this one for so long, registered nutritionist Jenny Rosborough and I will explore the world of processed and ultra processed foods because I know this is confusing for so many of you. We will sort fact from fiction and we'll hopefully understand better at the end of this episode the differences and how to manage them within our diets. Hello, Jenny. Hi. Hello. Oh, it's so lovely to have you back on Food for Thought. You were one of our, well, very, very early on guests, I think, looking back. I know, a good few years ago now. Yeah, it's crazy to me the podcast has even been going that long. But I think, um, obviously, a lot of topics of conversation have emerged. And I thought, who is the perfect guest to discuss ultra-processed foods in the food industry? And I was like, of course it's going to be Jenny. So... <laughs> <laughs> it's such, um, you know, this is such an interesting area to discuss, I think, because it is quite new in the grand scheme of things. So, yeah, I'm excited yeah. to get stuck into it. It is. It's, let's just say it is quite new because of, um, I guess, the access to information we have now, but also the awareness that seems to be there amongst health professionals. So let's kick off by saying, I mean, is it really fair to even say that nearly all the food that we eat is in fact processed or is this confusing for the consumer? I think it's definitely fair to say that. I mean, the reality is that most foods are processed to a degree. So processing can help increase shelf life. It can make food safer. It can add nutrients through a process called fortification. Um, so I think what happens is though, the idea that all processed food is seen as bad, in inverted commas, but that obviously misses a lot of the context and the nuance that hopefully we're gonna get into. Yeah, ab absolutely, because um, I think for so long, yeah, that's just it, the impression is processed equals bad, but let's break it down for everybody. So what types of foods do we know are typically 
processed versus what is the difference, I guess, between um, an ultra processed food? Okay, so that that's a big question <laughs> because yeah. there was there was a classification system developed about a decade ago in Brazil called Nova, the Nova classification system, and this breaks food down into four groups depending on their level of processing. So I suppose. Uh, until kind of more recently, we were just talking about food in terms of its nutritional content, whereas this is looking more at the level of processing. So there are four groups. I'll go through them, <laughs> get comfy. Um, so the first one is unprocessed and minimally processed foods. And these are probably the kind of things you'd expect. So unprocessed would be your fruit, veg, nuts, seeds, grains, meat, fish, pulses, eggs. I could go on. Um, and then the min minimally processed food are... They've been perhaps dried or frozen, roasted, boiled, pasteurized, um, but don't contain any added ingredients. So this would be things like frozen fruit and veg or frozen fish, milk or natural yogurt with no added sugars. So they're your unprocessed and minimally processed group one foods. Then you've got group two. So this is processed culinary ingredients. Um, so your butter, oil, sugar, salt, vinegar. So you, you tend not to eat these alone, <laughs> ideally. Um, usually a small amount you'd have with group one, um, perhaps add to it whilst cooking, for example. Mm, then yeah. group three and group four. Now, this is the difference between processed and ultra processed. So group three foods are your processed foods. And these would typically be a mix of group one and two. So they tend to contain some added ingredients that might um, increase taste or extend shelf life. So for example, um, fresh bread, salted nuts, cured meats, bacon, tinned fruits and syrup. And then group four, the ultra processed group, which I guess we'll be talking a lot more about. Um, these are the ones that tend to contain ingredients that you wouldn't add at home or maybe have in your cupboard at home. So this includes kind of colorings, preservatives, sweeteners, they're often more mass produced um, and contain fat, sugar, um, but more as like the bulk of the dish. So not sparingly, like in the earlier groups, now there'd be more kind of the bulk of the, the dish. So in order of kind of consumption levels in the UK, they include things like industrialized bread, <laughs> pre-packaged mm. meals. And by industrialized bread, we mean kind of the stuff in the packet on the shelves yeah. in the supermarket. But I guess this is where the, the terms get a bit technical pre-packaged meals, breakfast cereals, sausages, other reconstituted meat, confectionery, biscuits. So this is what you'd expect then, I think, the confectionery, yeah. the biscuits, um, the cakes. And then plus things like baked beans, tinned soups, um, meat alternatives. So I know that's quite a lot of information there. Um, and I would say it is it is difficult to categorise some foods. It, you know, it depends how it's made. You've got the difference between fresh bread in the processed category and... Um, then industrialized bread in the um, ultra processed category. And I think it's just worth saying up front that it's definitely not a perfect system. And I think definitely in the nutrition field, there's a lot of criticism because we could interpret differently. It's open to interpretation mm. and, um, you know, categorizing such a broad scope of food is hard, but equally, I do think that we have to work with non-perfect systems to make progress mm. in public health sometimes. So yeah, that's where we're at at the moment. Oh, no, I think you explained it brilliantly. I love what you finished on there, the fact that you have to work with imperfect systems because if you think about it, public health nutrition is never going to be perfect because we can't, you know, we're all individual and unique. You've just got to do what you can with data and be able to apply it on a broad spectrum in the best way we can. So that's so yeah. interesting. And I think a lot of people would be interested to hear, you know, single items that you listed there like butter. Um, yeah. or sugar you know it doesn't mean these items are bad but when you go a step further and you get to that really um you know the top classification where we've mixed so many different things together mm -hmm. to create something and, and that's the kind of stuff that we just need to be aware of like our biscuits and our lovely marshmallows or the things in our diets that I said marshmallows just because I don't don't know why actually it's the first thing that popped into <laughs> first thing that popped into my head a marshmallow, um, but you know we enjoy these items but we don't want yeah. to be demonising them so 
not all processed foods are actually unhealthy and i think even when i started working as a nutritionist at talks i think i probably even used the word processed referring to these ultra processed items and i didn't break it down clearly enough that you can have very like you mentioned tin soup or um you know a can of chickpeas is a healthy item that's processed so perhaps let's let's list some more healthy examples for people just so we're really trying to state and clear it for the record that process doesn't mean always unhealthy yeah and i guess like there is a differentiation between the, the process and the ultra process but certainly you know if you consider situations like lockdown when mm. you need when we couldn't go to the supermarket all the time and you needed those tinned and canned foods um that would be an example of where these types of foods aren't unhelpful by any means i think you'd argue that ready meals can be very helpful for a lot of people mm -hmm. um particularly you know vulnerable and time poor people um you know some of these ultra processed foods do have added nutrients they are easier to swallow that like i said the longer shelf life um is important for some as well so it's definitely and this is where in nutrition always there's just so much nuance and context that we have to apply um to these conversations yeah a hundred percent and it's the nuance that that is so so important so mm. what is it then and this is a question that I'd like you, this is de a deliberately planted question, which I know <laughs> you'll know when I say it. Um, what is it that makes these Nova groups, so group three and four, which I know you just listed um, before, what is it that makes the foods addictive? Yeah, so that's your planted question. They're not <laughs> that's my planted question. <laughs> <laughs> They're not literally addictive, but they are seemingly so. You know, they are Moorish food. They're deliberately Moorish. Um, they're hyper palatable for a start. Um, the jury is out, but there's some interesting emerging data that I think would be useful to kind of touch on here. Mm. But I think it, it's it's partly likely, you know, due to the lack of protein and fibre in some of these foods, which makes them less satiating, so less filling for us. Um, that could be one element. But yeah, the, the combination of all the, the fat and the sugar and the salt does also make these foods hyper palatable. So we tend to want more of them, but they don't necessarily fill us up. Um, yeah. So there's some really interesting research from Kevin Hall a couple of years ago, well, 2019, I think it explains this um, more clearly. Basically, this was all done in a clinical setting and he compared two groups. So for two weeks, um, they ate a diet made up of ultra processed foods and for two weeks, a diet made up of minimally um, unprocessed foods. Um, so a month in total. So both groups did both diets and each diet was matched for calories, fiber, fat, protein, carbs, sodium, sugar. Um, the idea is you wanted to potentially rule out that it was just nutrients impacting kind of how much we ate. Um, and there was other, th and it was the level of processing. That's what they wanted to look at that potentially could make the difference. Um, and they could eat as much of it as they wanted. And the outcomes showed that they um, ate 500 calories extra a day when following the ultra processed food diet compared to the process, the unprocessed, sorry, and minimally processed. So, and that led to weight gain. And there was a lot of speculation um, off the back of this as to why this was. So, for example, the ultra processed food diet was consumed more quickly on a very kind of pragmatic level. They, these foods tend to be softer and easier to chew and swallow. So this potentially kind of resulted in delayed signals of fullness. There was an increase in the hormone responsible for appetite suppression mm -hmm. in the unprocessed diet. So that could play a role. It wasn't as you might expect. Well, they probably just preferred the taste of them. So therefore they ate more. But it, but it wasn't simply due to that because there wasn't any significant differences reported in the amount of pleasantness from each mm. of the diets. So to date, a lot of the research and evidence has been looking at observation, uh, sorry, looking at ultra processed foods has been based on observational data linking ultra processed foods to less healthy outcomes. Um, for example, a higher weight and, and other diseases. But that, that can't give us kind of causal indication. That's only observational and, and demonstrates association. So this randomized control trial really starts looking at the causal relationship and some of the mechanisms. So it's really early days in terms of the research. So um, I know there's lots of follow up happening now as well, which will be interesting.
Do you know, I find that so interesting. And like you said, there's so many factors to consider. The fact that it wasn't really the taste because they enjoyed both, I find fascinating anyway. But mm. absorption rates really interest me, you know, in the body of food because of how we've obviously produced the food. And I know a lot of people at the moment are talking about the comparison between you know calories in calories out um accuracy based on the bioavailability of foods once they're in the body you know how quickly they're converted into yeah. energy essentially and it really does solidify that the world of nutritional science is constantly evolving isn't it yeah and i do think that debate you know around calories and how useful they are to report on is is really interesting i think that, you know, we do know that you could, you know, what you absorb or the impact even on blood lipids, for example, if you were to consume a whole nut versus like a whole almond versus almond flour, for example, would be different. So that kind of bioavailability aspect is really important. So it's definitely the case that not all calories are created as equal. Um, but I think on a pragmatic level, that kind of line doesn't really account for what we're eating. I think if we were comparing calories to a bowl of salmon and rice and vegetables and it was high in protein it was high in fiber we were comparing that to an ultra processed ready meal we would likely kind of see a difference um but generally when we we use calories i suppose we're looking at that ultra processed snack foods where a lot of the calories are very available and these foods are digested and absorbed really quite quickly so yeah it's definitely an interesting conversation yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And what what are you what are your thoughts on? I mean, I know this is delving a little bit outside of obviously the work because you've spent so many years working in public health nutrition and discussing these types of things. But um, how much do you know about the role? I suppose or have you heard about the role our genes affect our desire for these certain foods, particularly the ultra processed ones? Yeah, so I mean, evidence does suggest that our genes impact our food preferences, um, but it's not the only thing that contributes. Um, and I think at the moment, what's really important to consider is we like to talk about food choice a lot. And I use that, that word choice really carefully, purely because I think we don't, we sometimes don't have, have as much freedom around kind of our choice of food and what we're eating as we might like to think that we or others do. There's a lot of pulling of strings behind the scenes, let's say, by industry to steer you towards the high, profitable, palatable foods. You know, it's their job mm. to, the more they sell, their job is based on, you know, the more they sell of these types of products, the better. Um, so I think it's really important that we take kind of the, what's happening in our environment and the influence of you know, the marketing, the price promotions, the advertising, the accessibility, the cost, all of those things on what we end up buying and consuming um, is really important. So yes, I would say that genes definitely impacts kind of food preferences and can predispose us to certain likes and tastes. But but in our wider environment, that's having a big impact on what we're buying and consuming too. Yeah, of course it is. I feel like the environment's such a huge thing to consider here because, you know, I think I've always I've always been a big believer in psychology and nutrition and you know the way we're brought up and the way we see food but equally that is going to be dictated by the environment we live in and the access to food that we have and the money that we have um yeah. it's it's just such a large area it's not as simple yeah. this is what I know this frustrates you too Jenny is that when you see people especially online or even in the political arena saying well it's just simply eat less move more just don't eat the processed foods and we're just there thinking guys there's just so much more isn't it <laughs> yeah so so this idea that we just we just have to educate and i think you know it's important you know not to imply that education is irrelevant we don't want to disempower people of course like it is helpful but the differentiation is we know from the research that education policies based on education alone like in isolation don't work because essentially you're trying to apply education in an environment that's not conducive to healthy eating and then we have to resist our own biology which naturally seeks out high fat sugar foods that represented survival and safe foods back in the day when food was scarce so yeah education you know it's one element but we also need to address this whole raft of industry tactics I think that are occurring behind the scenes and that's what policies and public health policies are really trying to look at now.
Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. So let's discuss the fact that when we consume these foods in larger quantities, of course, let's go back to the, the nutritional elements here that we are obviously as registered nutritionists here to advise on. How does our body respond when we choose to consume a balance that's swaying more towards ultra processed than um, perhaps minimally processed? So this really goes back to the, the Kevin Hall research, I think it's really interesting. So it, it's those, it's considering those nutrients on one side that are lacking as well, like we said, the, the protein and the fiber is likely to digest and absorb more slowly. So the rate of absorption is really important. Um, and yeah, then going back to the Kevin Hall research, I think the hunger and satiety signals, that's really interesting. So what's happening metabolically as well. Um, but I would say, you know, this is, there's a lot of research in this area differentiating the differences between ultra processed and processed foods. It is quite new. Um, and so we have to be cautious when reporting it, but we're definitely building up more and more and we need more of that mechanistic data that can really kind of show what, what's going on there. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. It's all about getting um, a lot more data, I think, ultimately. Yeah. Um, we can't just put a blanket answer on these mm. these types of questions. Um, I mean, in terms of short term and long term, I suppose these foods will also have different impacts depending on how frequently they're consumed. Yeah, do you know, I think that's the key thing. In the short term, you might feel not as full and you might end up consuming more if you eat more ultra processed foods. Um, and then in the longer term, this when, this is when you would see more more health outcomes. But the, the key thing there is the dietary pattern, pattern overall is what ultimately matters. It's not about, you know, never eating an ultra processed food. Obviously, that would be quite difficult to do in our society as well. So and, and that's unnecessary. We don't need to do that. But it's about our dietary pattern overall. So where's the abundance? Where's the most of the food and the nutrients coming from? And yeah, not only are we consuming a lot of high fat salt sugar foods but also are we consuming enough vitamins and minerals and you know fiber and other nutrients it's important to obviously talk about those as well because a lot of the ultra processed foods can be stripped of a lot of these important um nutrients too yeah no this is just it and of course we have more i know everybody seems to be talking about gut health and i know we still have actually it's very important to voice we still it's still a very new scientific area for the people yeah. researching it so you know it's not something it might sound trendy and yes it's very interesting mm -hmm. but it's still new um Absolutely. and ultimately like jenny just said we do know what we do know is that ultra processed foods will be higher in the trans fats, the sugar, salt, and would you also go as far as saying potentially additional additives then as well? Yeah, so that would be one of the categorizations of the ultra process that it has all these added elements that you wouldn't necessarily add if you were just cooking at home. So I think that's that's quite a, an easy differentiation for people to make yeah. to be able to kind of compare the two. Yeah, 100%. And of course, lacking on more of the fiber. So if you know that your diet contains a lot of these items, just, just try and reduce them a fraction if it's high. But equally, if you're consuming them minimally and, and not that frequently, then don't worry about it. It's not going to cause you immediate damage or anything that's quite scaremongering because i think the online world is is terrifying enough as it is without you panicking about consuming a one-off ready meal every now and again because you're knackered and you know i do it um yeah. i don't want to cook <laughs> all the time yeah exactly and i think even within you know this this ultra processed food category there's nuance and context there as well because yeah. i think a ready meal is is different to a lot of kind of the the snack category of ultra processed foods as well yeah yeah a hundred percent and there are so many options out there now aren't there that are just being produced that are quite incredible actually compared to if you looked at this marketplace i mean this is what you do jen if you look 10 years ago and can compare mm. what options are now would you just do a big double take yeah, you've seen that even, I mean, there's been huge changes over the last few decades. Um, but even kind of within the ultra processed food category, you see over the last, you know, 20 odd years, the amount of sugar that's increased in chocolate bars, for example, there's research showing that. So, but definitely compared to, you know, how we used to 
eat back in the day with a much more whole food diet but time times have changed you know that there was more time potentially for kind of cooking and there was less less access to all this readily available food that's kind of Mm. promoted to us and targeting us all the time and a lot of the advertising really makes us believe that you know these are solving all sorts of problems for us um you know very solution-based kind of foods and products as well so I think it's a combination of how we've adapted to modern lifestyle mixed with kind of the food industry knowing how to tap into to what we need or what we are led to believe that we need oh gosh what would this okay so we haven't even touched on advertising yet and that is something that is quite terrifying when you watch campaigns like the bite back campaigns and the mm. um how we are subliminally impacted by adverts in between certain tv shows perhaps or watching what your children i think for the future generations this is particularly alarming for myself is just thinking about the future that my kids will have looking at tv and what food is being marketed at them because ultimately we know the power now don't we jen we know that it really has been shown to influence the selection we make if we've seen an advert that week yeah definitely and i think the key word you use there is subliminal because Mm. if you ask someone they would say it doesn't i you know i don't go and buy food just because i've seen it on on the tv I mean, some people would say that, and that does also happen, but it's the way that it's subtly, it's insidious, and it subtly kind of normalises and reinforces certain foods and increases preferences for certain foods, that that is where it's really powerful, particularly for children as well. So we are um, seeing more government action on this now, finally, which is uh, implementing a 9pm watershed across TV and uh, restriction of the less healthy food ads online as well. And, you know, that it, it creates spacing. Because at the moment we have such an imbalance you know, that the budgets mm. and the amount of adverts that are for ultra processed foods that are also high in fat, salt and sugar compared to really nutritious foods and fruit and veg, that the balance is just so off and we need to rebalance that. So we're starting to see some policies um, come into play over the next few months. Well, that's incredible to hear as you're watching this space, because um, I know this is something you do a lot, Jen. And do you feel that perhaps, oh, no, I know you said education is key here. It's a big part of the problem is we need to be educated more. But do you think a percentage reduction target for ultra processed foods you know, should we be charging more or less money on these items or should we try and aim for the supermarket shelves to be swayed in a certain way? What do you feel needs to change? Personally, I guess, this is a personal answer just as much. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And I think overall, the answer depends on, you know, because we're talking about ultra processed foods as a whole category here, we'd have to depend initially on modelling studies and scoping for unintended consequences. So like we said, there's a place for things like ready meals in modern society, absolutely, um, and some other key foods as well. But potentially a category specific approach could work here, like a reduction in the sales of ultra processed snack foods or those kind of discretionary foods that we don't need for, you know, for nutrient content or anything like that would be would be positive i think um and we, we have got some reduction programs at the moment that's more around reformulations that's more reducing the sugar salt um unsaturated fat content calorie content of of foods in particular um food categories so we have got that already and i think that probably they would cover a lot of the ultra processed um food categories as well so i do i do think uh, you know if we're talking about ultra processed in general we would definitely need to do some modeling and scoping because it wouldn't be feasible to to reduce all of those or to really expect people not to consume some of these foods but but some of the categories within that i think that we do need some more policy action around and, and that includes promotions price promotions as well you know we've talked about advertising but there's a real mm. imbalance there and the government has announced again kind of reshifting of the balance there so that more of the promotions will be on the healthier foods versus the foods Great. and drinks high in fat salt and sugar so supermarkets retailers that that should all be coming into play next year as well a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, I remember saying to you in the first episode we recorded years ago, I'd love to see more buy one, get one freeze on fruit and vegetables rather than the snack aisle. But think, Joe, even since we yeah. recorded... Um, back in god i don't know what year it was but when we did that first episode <laughs> versus now yeah. there have been several changes in the supermarket but like you said it's a flawed it's not a complete definite or accurate criteria is it even defining these items of food which is why it's difficult as well um yeah we definitely need more dietary guidelines because you know isn't, isn't traffic light labeling still voluntary only in the uk yeah, see, our government takes a long time to implement. Just think, you know, we're definitely talking about some of these things, and it must have been a good three years ago because it yeah. was, it was, you know, way before uh, COVID. Dare I say it? Um, and you know, we're still talking about some of these things now, and they still haven't been implemented. But I guess over the last few years, they've been, it, it, you know, there's a process to pass these through government, pass them through Parliament, mm. get them signed off, so to speak. Um, and traffic light labelling, there was a consultation that where the government asked for feedback. Um, on you know best kind of front of pack labeling but the main thing like you said is it isn't it isn't mandatory so there's lots of companies that still aren't doing that and giving that very basic transparent information to consumers in order for them to be able to to you know understand what's in the product ultimately yeah a hundred percent now i'm quite interested sorry i didn't pop this on the brief for you before but i'm quite interested in because of your experience and the line of work you work in, and you've worked with some incredible names, and you know you did a lot with Jamie Oliver around certain times where he was so prominent campaigning for, you know, healthier, and he still is an advocate for campaigning for children to get better quality food. And what do you really think everybody listening to this podcast could be doing more of? Is there something that would really shift the tide, let's say, when it comes to options out there for everybody's health? So I suppose it depends. There's two There's two different ways to answer that, I suppose. Like one thing is what individuals can do. And I think, you know, when it comes to individuals, like we talk about what's in people's means. So if you're able to increase the variety of foods that you're consuming and, and in, include some more of those whole foods, it doesn't have to be an entire whole food diet at all, but increase more of those kind of foods um, into your diet is really, really positive. But I suppose like one of the other things to point out here, and I think it's useful in terms of what people can do, just for people to be aware, is to say that we are stuck in this huge system cycle ultimately mm. which is beyond the individual and we're currently you know we're experiencing food system failures but also failures in systems or lack of systems that are meant to promote social and wealth equality so there's so much inequality and we do see the health outcomes and impacts like very highly linked to that so i suppose it's difficult here like you were saying before, it, like not, we can't just tell people don't eat ultra processed food and expect there to be no repercussions of that. And to give an example of this, actually, in that Kevin Hall study, they looked at in order to create a 2000 calorie a day, so your average kind of requirement of ultra processed foods, it was $106 for a week. But to reach the same 2000 calories a day in unprocessed foods for a week, it was $151. So even price wise, mm. you're in quite a privileged position in order to, you know, 
make those choices again and use an inverted commas around the foods that we're consuming so i think there are changes that people can make when it comes to ultra processed foods if it's in your means it would be looking for whole foods where possible adding those into what you already eat looking at ingredients lists um looking at the front of pack labeling when it's there but also collectively i think we all need to have this bigger awareness of how unequal i suppose the the food system is um overall and be asking for change yeah yeah do you know we should be asking for change especially if you're in a position where you do have access to education you're listening to this podcast and you know it's all very well as saying and you know i am a big advocate of cooking from scratch where and when you can you know i really wish the yeah. reality of the world was that everybody was able to to live in a certain way that of course is more sustainable for the environment um but we have to tackle the problems on our own doorstep. So yes, talking about it, sharing this episode, I think is something everybody could do. Now, we do have some questions from our listeners around this topic, which I've been collecting, especially for this episode. So I think the one from Tilly is really interesting. Um, Jen, Tilly has said, can ultra processed foods cause an increase in inflammation? Because I think this is what really circulates, especially on social media. See, that's so interesting. And I'd love to get your thoughts and information as well, because I think it's something that has started to be talked about, but I don't know if there's total agreement um, mm. across across the field. So I think, yeah, we just keep an eye on the, the research and evidence base for that. But what we do know about ultra-processed foods um, through the observational data is that diets that are particularly high in ultra-processed foods do seem to link with um, rates of overweight and obesity and also some of those other non-communicable diseases as well. Yeah, 100%, I would agree. And I was looking I was looking up in inflammatory diets, you know, anti-inflammatory for the, the mm. Science of Nutrition book. And a lot of the, the only concrete research I could find with positive outcomes of diet rather than the negative contributions were more on areas like arthritis and, you know, these chronic conditions. Um, yeah where diet can have an effective role in helping joint health for instance but when it comes to the impact of yeah ultra processed fruit it really is a chronic consumption like so con really high levels of sugar and salt and things in yeah that lead to excess weight gain of course which then leads to inflammation but for some people they seem to be able to eat these diets and they won't have the same levels of inflammation as other people so it's yeah, watch yeah. the space, isn't it, Jen? <laughs> and like you said, it, it again goes back to that dietary pattern overall, doesn't it, I think? Yeah, 100%. So really good question, Tilly. So as you can see, Jen and I sit on the fence a bit with that because until we have a bit more information. Um, but what you can do, of course, is eat as well as you can to help your body there long term. Um, and that may look different to you, to someone else. Uh, Ellen has said... Does eating ultra-processed food impact my hormones? So I guess that what we've actually talked about specifically is more um, in response to kind of appetite regulation. Yeah. So go going back to that, and that's like in the immediate sense, isn't it? So going back to the Kevin Hall research and it kind of changing those signals of fullness um, and the appetite, which the, sorry, the hormones which are responsible for kind of regulating appetite. So that that's where we seem to kind of notice the impact um, in the initial kind of phase anyway. Yeah, I, I would completely agree. And of course, there must be, I mean, there's something I haven't looked into right now. But of course, if you have problems with your insulin or, um, you know, your type two diabetic, um, then of course, I would say depending on the level of sugar and you know different items in your food that will of course have an interaction with hormones but yeah we seem to know a lot more about um appetite regulation yeah. there. and that's where the you know the the definition of ultra processed is is so broad as well because it doesn't necessarily mean high in sugar, sugar although yeah. typically typically lots of those kind of products you know will contain lots of sugar but not not all of them no, yeah, exactly. Because you know, ultra processed foods can be high salt, not and not have yeah. really any sugar in them. We just, this is the thing, guys. Sugar isn't the only cause, or isn't a sole cause of weight gain, rather. Nor is salt. It's com combined overall diet. I really have to hammer that home. I think. Um, mm -hmm. The next question um, 
Oh, it's really hard to pick on this. I think Holly, we'll go with Holly's question. I was looking at Tom's, but I think Holly's is more appropriate for this episode. I find myself reaching for cookies all the time. What snacks could be a better option for me? Interesting. I'm sure lots of people say say that. I think we saw a big surge in that in lockdown as well when everyone's at yeah. home because it's the availability of it. And even in the home environment, you know, if they're there and accessible all the time, um, then it's easier to kind of go back for more. But I think when it comes to snacks, like ideally, it comes back to like the more high protein fiber that, um, you know, is is going to maybe fill you up a little bit more and also a great opportunity to get more fruit and veg in where possible. So I think a combination of, you know, the nuts, the fruit, the veg, mm. I know that doesn't sound very inventive, but <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, that's probably one of the messages that hasn't changed. Do you know, it doesn't. And whenever we're asked these questions, I find as nutritionists, there isn't a sexy answer. And you can yeah. make these things more interesting. But to do that does involve an element of cooking from scratch, because you could make yourself a lovely walnut wholemeal flour with grated courgette and apple muffin off the top of my head. You know, you could make <laughs> yourself that. But to do yeah. that takes quite a lot of effort. So yeah, to snack on the walnut separately and having an apple or something is probably still yeah but just not as fun um right <laughs> moving on to our fact or fiction round are you ready i think so <laughs> let's see <laughs> here we go if you could answer fact or fiction to the following food processing makes products safe to consume that is a fact that that is part of you know in that in that process group um what can be positive uh, yeah we hadn't even discussed that that is very true and um, most vegan products are ultra processed oh so those well those meat alternative products yes you have to they have to be ultra processed essentially if you're trying to make something taste and look and feel like you know a meat product um because that's totally constructed but then you know on the flip side you could be talking about chickpeas and beans and pulses and things like that um which aren't ultra processed so it, it really depends but a lot of those kind of packaged meat alternatives would be ultra processed yes yeah absolutely nova group four is interlinked yeah. with obesity so that's going back to the observational that that well it's a fact as far as the, the level of research that we have so maybe fact is too strong a word there but we do see the observational research which demonstrates associations between high levels of ultra processed foods um and obesity but it, it all comes down to the quality of the evidence basically so it's not it's not massively clear-cut but i think the Kevin Hall stuff where you see mm. in, you know, in that lab base where they are eating more than 500 calories, well, 500 calories more a day on the ultra processed diet. And that is contributing to weight gain is, is the more compelling data that we're starting to see now. I should caveat that with saying it was a small group. It was only 20 participants, but I think that this kind of evidence hopefully is going to be replicated and we can build up more of an evidence base overall there. Love it. I think you very fairly displayed both sides there. Thank you. Um, 60% of our diet is ultra processed food. Yes, so it is. I've got just over half, so 50 something in our, yeah, so I think rounded up it is, it is probably about 60% of, or at least like the calories, um, at least about 50 or 60% of the calories in our diet wow. come from ultra processed foods. And, and, and it's always really important to bear in mind as well. That's high. That's population average. It's higher in some groups. So some of your listeners, you know, it might be much lower, but in some groups, particularly vulnerable groups um, or children, it could be higher. Yeah. A hundred percent. Your concentration won't be impacted by food choices. I think that's fiction. We know that, that food does tend to, you know, food at the end of the day is what's providing us with our energy. So you can have, mm. there's a lot of, you know, conversation, particularly around energy drinks being a bit misleading in this sense, because it's something that it makes you feel like it's given you a lot of energy. But actually, often these these drinks so historically were very high in sugar. So they would give you that quick burst of energy, but then that would disappear quite quickly as well. So that kind of thing would impact energy levels, concentration. So um, we do talk about kind of making sure that schools are 
a safe place for having nutritious meals as well and there's a lot of campaigning going around in that area partly Absolutely. one reason for for concentration yeah no yeah 100 percent. i mean that's what we all want our kids to concentrate at school um mm -hmm. you'll eat more calories if your diet is higher in ultra processed foods well yes it seems so based on the kevin hall research mm. and you know back to the idea that it's not it's potentially one mechanism could be that it's not as filling there we go and food also these foods sorry i was going to say these foods tend to be more calorie dense as well so that's something to bear in mind yeah yeah i know i know it's such a shame isn't it that one biscuit has a lot more calories than a whole bowl of rice or something it's quite, quite, quite tragic um food texture doesn't impact how much we eat of certain foods well, the jury's out, but likely that's fiction. I, that, I mean, it's a great, it's a great question. I, one of the hypotheses in that research was that because the food is so soft, like we're not really having to work hard to, you know, chew to chew it and digest it, and that's happening all a lot quicker. And then that impacts our satiety signals as well, so our fullness signals. So likely that that's fiction. Mm. Ultra processed foods are terrible for the environment. So environment is such a new environment and sustainability. They are it is quite a nuanced conversation. Again, there's lots of context to that, but generally, yes, these foods would be harmful for the environment as well. Yeah, yeah, of course. The mass um, production. Yeah. yeah, it's perhaps packaged. It's how it's created. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. what we do with it after. Gosh, yeah. Anyway, let's not go down that rabbit hole. In this Transportation. Episode. Yeah, it's a whole different. Well, it is a whole different episode. Um your brain won't be affected by eating ultra processed foods so our brain is very much affected by the nutrients that we do or don't consume so that's fiction there we go and the last one we've got today only one portion of ultra processed food a week should be allowed oh that's I would say that's fiction. You know, it, it just depends, doesn't it? I think that that in reality would be A, hard to do and probably overall not necessary. But, you know, in general, if we're having lots of ultra processed foods at the moment, then if we can reduce that, then that's going to be beneficial. Perfect. Well done. I love that fact of fiction around you. So much of it just gets you... Um... Yeah, thinking, like I said, of whole other episodes, but it does nearly wrap up this one. Um, and we always, as you know, finish with a food for thought. And I think mine today, I loved the the fact of fiction question that we had that 60%, well, rounded up from 50 odd something of our diets, 50% is ultra processed food, because I think we forget every single day, the world we live in is a modern world. We are consuming foods that have been created especially for us a lot of the time and that doesn't make it a bad thing it's just it depends on what constitutes those particular foods like i said tins of vegetables and beans and pulses are processed but hugely important elements especially if we are going down the gut health area there and getting more plant-based nutrition which in turn may be beneficial for the environment so don't fear don't fear food, empower yourself to educate yourself to understand how to check the label for how much salt and sugar and saturated fat are actually in your food. I spend a lot of time in the science of nutrition, the book trying to just break down those types of elements because it is confusing. I think for a consumer, I mean, I know Jenny, in a minute, you could definitely touch on the fact that, you know, it doesn't most packets don't tell you how much is in the packet on the front it's how much per serving which a serving will look different mm. to most people on their plate so just try yeah. and cook from scratch when you can but know that it's a very nuanced area that would be my food for thought what would be yours jen today um well i definitely agree with what you were saying and i think i suppose there's always this risk when talking about nutrition that it, it's easy to, and yeah, it kind of reinforces what you were saying, like conflate optimum with reality. And essentially we need to be realistic about how we're eating as a population and go from there. Um, so I do think we need to be able to hold lots of ideas in tension here. So for example, we can be critical of the usability of the NOVA classification system and not be dismissive of its purpose in moving this research and conversation forward. I think we can see the benefits of reducing ultra processed food, especially those discretionary stack foods that we've spoken about whilst also seeing the benefit of 
reformulating, so reducing saturated fat, salt, sugar in the ultra processed foods that we are eating a lot of as a wealth as a worthwhile public health policy. And I mm. think that we can appreciate the role of some of the ultra processed foods. So like we've said, like the ready meals was also understanding that they're likely to have less healthy outcomes overall um, over time if our diets are particularly high in certain types of foods. So yeah, the key to remember that it's a Dutch pattern overall that really matters. And yeah, just to, I guess like the point to kind of finish on, which we did touch on, is that some groups are far more exposed to a diet higher in ultra processed foods. And so it's important for us all really to be advocating for a more equitable food system across the board. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, it's something that we all need to kind of work together on in a way. It's something that has to be addressed. We can't just ignore it. Um, but it's how we go about making changes. Jenny, as always, such a thought provoking and excuse the pun, it is a food for thought today, ultra processed <laughs> and processed foods. Jenny, where can our listeners go to learn more about the amazing work that you do every single day? Well, I'm not huge on social media, but I am on Instagram and Twitter under Hello Healthy You, so probably best places. Yes, absolutely. I know you work on a lot of important things behind the scenes. So, Jenny, thank you so much for coming on Food for Thought today. Thanks for having me. If you've all enjoyed Food for Thought, you're going to love what's coming up. We've got so many amazing episodes. So if you're not already, make sure you subscribe because that way it will just pop up and tell you it's ready for you to listen to every single Monday. And it would be brilliant if you have time to leave a review. I know now and understand that these reviews of how you feel the podcast goes or if you learn anything from it can help other people reach it and hopefully they'll be able to take a lot away from it too. So for more information about my best-selling book, The Science of Nutrition, The Nutrition Clinic, if you want to book in and get some advice, healthy recipes, and so much more, please go and visit retrition.com. And I really can't wait to share this with you. Retrition Plus is finally here, my new supplements company that puts science to work for your well-being. Finally, we offer folic acid sprays, vitamin D sprays, and a vegan multivitamin. So just head over to retritionplus.com and you can follow me at retrition on instagram tiktok twitter facebook and youtube ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 